Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast. And today you are listening to a broken man. Now you may be wondering... What's happened? Have I had a relationship breakdown? Maybe I've got family trouble? Maybe I'm just burnt out? No, none of those things are true. I have simply had to sit through The Scorpion King 3 Battle for Redemption. And if you want to know why this film has broken me so much, well, I guess you're just going to have to listen to the episode to find out. In terms of the format, it's going to be the same as usual. We will start with a little background information on the film. Then a section on the historical accuracy. And finally, I shall review the film. Right. You were a mighty warrior, married to a beautiful sorceress. You were loved by your people. However, one day your wife dies, and in your despair, you allow your kingdom to fall apart. Now you are simply a mercenary for hire. However, little do you know that your latest mission will help you to find yourself as you start the battle for redemption. So this film had a budget of $6 million, which is admittedly quite small for a film. And in fact, this is quite apparent because originally a lot of the shooting was supposed to take place in parts of Europe and things like that. But instead, it got shot in Thailand because it was cheaper. And in fact, it becomes even more apparent because a lot of the scenes were shot in very popular tourist locations, but they didn't have the money to reserve them. So... The shooting kept stopping and starting as tourists walked past the shots. In terms of the cast, Victor Webster plays Matthias, the Scorpion King. Boston Christopher plays Olaf, who's basically this very big guy who fights alongside the Scorpion King. Ron Perlman plays Horace, the King of Egypt. And interestingly, this is a very early film of Dave Bautista, the former wrestler who would go on to become Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. In this film, he plays Agramal, a mighty warrior who is summoned from the Book of the Dead. We have now arrived at the historical accuracy section of this episode. And to be honest with you, the Scorpion King films have never had a very good reputation when it comes to this part. In fact, I would argue 
their reputation is quite frankly horrendous uh, in the first one, you have them traveling across the entirety of Egypt in uh, an afternoon. In the second one, you have them following the works of Herodotus in 3000 BC. So, I mean, Herodotus wouldn't have been alive for another 2,600 year-ish. And, well, let's see if this one does any better, shall we? First things first, there are a few points here that I've covered in the last two Scorpion King films, so I'll just briefly go over them, but not in great detail. So to begin with, pretty much all of the armour in the film is either Roman or Greek. And in fact, when we're looking at the main villain in the film, he's weirdly more kind of, he looks more like he's from the Napoleonic Wars or something. I mean, he even has a telescope, which, well, telescopes weren't invented until about the 1600s, so we're already not off to a great start. The final point that has appeared in the other two Scorpion King films is that they're using iron swords in this one. There is some evidence for swords in 3000 BC, but it's very, very infrequent, and they were definitely made of bronze, not iron. And in fact, the earliest swords we have actually come from Turkey, not Egypt. So, yeah, this is inaccurate. In the opening scene of the film, we see the wife of Matthias just after she's died. And she's basically been wrapped in linen bandages and she's been placed in a hole in the ground, kind of in quite a straight position. I have spoken a little bit about embalming in previous episodes, but I'm going to go into it in a little bit more detail here because... Generally speaking, when looking at the origins of things, it's never really as simple as something suddenly starting. There's usually a gradual build-up of ideas and practices that eventually leads to that thing. And when we're looking at mummification, for instance, I mean, define mummification. At what point does simply trying to preserve the body become actual mummification? It's quite abstract. It's down to debate. So, even from a time period known as Nakada II, which dates from roughly about 3650 to 3300 BCE, so that's before the Scorpion King, there was evidence of some bodies being wrapped in bandages to protect them from the elements, and there was also some evidence for like resins and things being used to try and preserve the body to some degree. However, what we're talking about here is quite simple when compared to later mummification. So, is that mummification or is that simply a precursor to mummification? It's, it's hard to say. The definition of mummification is simply preserving the body. So, I would argue this is a form of mummification. I mean, ultimately, a lot of these bodies haven't survived and that shows that the technique did get better with time, but that's to be expected. They were still trying to preserve the body to some degree. So, basically put, the fact that Matthias's wife was buried in bandages in this film isn't necessarily incorrect. Although, it is fair to say she's not buried in the correct way. Basically, the Scorpion King, well, King Scorpion, comes from a time period known as Nakada III, which was directly after Nakada II. During this time period, people tended to be buried in kind of a fetal position, not straight as she is in the film, so that is inaccurate. Right, moving on. The king of Egypt in this film is called Horus, and he has a brother named Talus. 
There's a few points here that need to be talked about, but we'll start with the fact that Talos is shown riding on a chariot pulled by a horse. As I've said in previous episodes, there were no horses in Egypt in 3000 BCE. And in fact, they wouldn't arrive in Egypt until the what's called the Second Intermediate Period, which was a time period between 1700 and 1550-ish BCE. And what's actually really interesting is, until this time period, there were also no wheels in Egypt, outside of, like, pottery wheels, for instance. So, if you think about all of the incredible things the Egyptians built before this, the, the most famous would probably be the Great Pyramids of Giza, they were all built without the aid of wheels. And if you think about it a little bit more, it does kind of make sense, because wheels are actually more complicated than we give them credit for. Especially if you're on quite like a sandy plain, you could understand how wheels could be quite inconvenient. So what the Egyptians used instead were essentially sleds that were often pulled by oxen. And when it came to actual transportation rather than horses, generally donkeys were the main form of transportation. Okay, now let's talk about the King Horus. To begin with, there is no evidence for a king named Horus, and, well, Horus was an Egyptian god. However, in fairness, he was a god that was around at the time of King Scorpion. And in fact, when we're looking at the unification of Egypt, so it's probable that this happened under a man named Nama, who basically united southern and northern Egypt into one land, it is worth noting that Nama is what's called a Horus name. To explain this, it's important to realise that pharaohs, especially from the 5th dynasty onwards, had five different names. And essentially, these developed one after another, and were usually a way of linking the pharaoh to a particular god. So, for instance, one of the different names was known as the Two Ladies. And this linked the pharaoh to the vulture-headed goddess Nekbet and the cobra goddess Wajet. Then you have the last of the five names to develop, which is called the throne name. This was probably the most important of them, especially from the Middle Kingdom onwards, and it associated the pharaoh with the sun god Ra. The Horus name was actually the oldest of the five names, and, well... I wonder if you can guess what god it associated them with. You're, you're probably right, yeah, it's Horus. I am aware I'm getting a little bit off of topic here, but the point I'm making that although there was no king named Horus in 3000 BC, well, really more like 3100 BC, he was an important god, and the king of, well, at least southern Egypt would have been strongly associated with him. Unfortunately, this film seems to imply, it doesn't outright say, but it does seem to imply that King Horus here was supposed to be the king of all of Egypt. Which, considering that during the time of King Scorpion, Egypt wasn't unified, this this is inaccurate. It's not correct. Right. I'm not going to lie, there's a lot to cover in terms of history here, and far too much for me to talk about it all. But we're going to move on to some of the more insane elements now. This film has ninjas in it. In this film, King Horus is supposed to also be the ruler over Japan. And when Matthias goes there, he has to fight ninjas. Ninjas weren't a thing until, I think, about the 12th century AD. So, 
yeah, no, in no way whatsoever is that accurate. And in fact, ancient Egypt never had any contact with Japan whatsoever. In 3000 BC, and it's probably worth noting that when I say 3000 BC, I'm using that as a kind of rounding off number. Realistically, King Scorpion would have lived a bit before then. But either way, in 3000 BC, Japan was in what is called the early Jomon period. During this time, Japan wasn't unified, but there was sort of a, a bit of a common culture running through the country. And it was generally a time where most people survived off of a mixture of hunting, gathering and fishing. Though there was also some agriculture and people tended to stay in the same location. There wasn't a lot of like migration, for instance. That's not to say that life was entirely simple. There was also some trading going on between Korea and Japan at this time, for instance, which is quite interesting, I think. And also, generally, a lot of the pottery was handmade around this time, and it, some of it was quite intricate and beautiful. But there is one thing that didn't exist in the Jamon period, and... <laughs> I've spoken about it already. It, it's 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 ninjas. They didn't exist at this time. But the weirdest thing about this is it's not even the most inaccurate part of the film. I've already talked about how Talos in the film looks like he's wearing clothing from the Napoleonic War and that he has a telescope. Well, in his camp, he also has the English flag flying in his tent. Like, and it's not something that can be mistaken it's quite clearly supposed to be the english flag i mean no one knows exactly when the english flag came about but it was probably around about 1270 a.d during the reign of edward i it most certainly was not around in 3000 bc as was england as a concept realistically oh my goodness but wait for it, because it gets even more inaccurate, because they also had the Japanese flag, which didn't exist until 1868. So basically, we have a big war between Egypt in 3000 BC against Japan in something like the 12th century AD against the Napoleonic English. I don't... This film makes no sense. I mean... At its height, and I mean at its absolute height, the Egyptian Empire stretched from Haga el Merwa in the Sudan to Syria. It didn't get anywhere near England, and it certainly didn't get anywhere near Japan. I get that films, you know, aren't supposed to be accurate masterpieces. I get, you know, they're their entertainment. That's their goal. And I understand that. And I try not to be snobbish with these reviews but there's limits and this film goes way beyond them in my opinion i mean i was half expecting someone to whip out a gun at some point i genuinely wouldn't have been surprised if a machine gun had turned up at some point but to top it all off at the end of the film king scorpion becomes the ruler of japan in terms of historical accuracy this film is an abomination it it literally broke me and the thing is, I haven't even mentioned everything. There's so much wrong with this film. From like little picky things like the fact that they have modern bricks everywhere that are held together by cement rather than mortar, to big things that somehow I haven't mentioned, like the fact that the Book of the Dead in this film has its origins in Japan. 
And, well, I mean, it's quite cool that it, it looks like the book from The Mummy Returns. I'll give the film that. It's not accurate because that kind of book didn't exist. But I'm sorry, The Book of the Dead was not around in 3000 BC. It most certainly did not come from Japan. It wouldn't exist until the New Kingdom. So we're talking like, what, 1500 BC? Basically put, the Scorpion King franchise seems to try and outdo itself in terms of historical inaccuracy. The first one was very inaccurate. The second one tried to outdo it by adding a Minotaur into Egypt and by having them travel down into the underworld on the advice of Herodotus. And then there's this one, which is in un- it's, it's unspeakably wrong. I mean, it has a united Egypt in, well, the time of King Scorpion. It has the Book of the Dead originating from Japan. It has contact between Japan and Egypt. It has a villain who looks like he's from the Napoleonic War. It has the English flag flying in that villain's camp. And it has ninjas. Basically put, this film was about as historically accurate as Shrek. So in this in this section, I'm just going to talk about what the film does well, what it does poorly, and then rate the film out of 10 as well. I shall start with the parts that I feel were quite good. To begin with, I feel that Victor Webster was actually pretty good as the Scorpion King, or at least in terms of appearance anyway. Acting-wise, it wasn't great, although it is often hard to tell whether someone's acting poorly or whether it's the script that's bad. It can be quite hard to discern between those two things. I suspect it's probably a mixture of both here. Secondly, although it is really, really stupid that they have the Book of the Dead coming from Japan in this film, I do like that it's included in the film, and I think it's quite cool that it looks exactly the same as how it looks in The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. I think the problem here, though, is it kind of almost comes down to the fact that I like that they're using a prop from previous films, but I don't like the way they're using it. So it's a bit of a a hit and miss positive, if you like. In general, though, I will say the way they set up the film is kind of very video game-esque, which is fun for a little bit. It gets a bit tiresome after a while, but initially it's quite fun. I will say, though, that some of the use of the Book of the Dead is quite cool. So basically, Talus uses the book to summon these mighty warriors to fight Matthias. That's quite cool. And I will say, like, I did get a little bit of a kick out of seeing Batista in the film. I I like Batista. I think he's a cool guy. Though, it is fair to say his acting has improved significantly. Right, now we're going to move on to... Well, I'm going to point one out that's sort of in between the good and bad in this film and it's going to be quite surprising considering how much i was ranting about it during the historical accuracy section but ninjas why i i get that that it does make the film stand out in fairness but why i i don't know if it's a positive or negative (laughs) oh no right okay i've watched this film both alone and with people I've seen it a few times. Amazingly, I've seen this film a few times. What? Why have I done that to myself? Um, I, a bit of a spoiler, I suppose, but I don't think this is a good film either way. I don't think it's fun enough to watch with friends, and it 
definitely is torture watching it alone. Watching alone, the ninjas are ridiculous and stupid and it's a negative. Watching with friends, it does fall into the realms of so bad that it's good. So I'm going to put this down as a true neutral. It's neither good nor bad. What is bad, though, is the way this film starts. So it starts very suddenly with Matthias being chained up and essentially beaten whilst his captors talk about his fallen empire and the death of his wife, the sorcerer. That whole storyline sounds better than the story we were presented with in this film. And what's more, it sounds like it would have probably been cheaper to make, which would have worked for the budget because it was really obvious watching this film they were struggling with the, the budget they had. So why did they make a film that was far too ambitious for their budget? It doesn't make sense. I will also say that when it comes to the fight scenes... The camera work in this film is atrocious. There's just cut after cut after cut. And at times I was genuinely feeling quite sick watching it. It was just too much. Also, just generally outside of the fight scenes, there isn't much in this film. Pretty much every scene is just people telling, not showing what's going to happen next. Like there's a lot of conversations just about what's going to happen next in the film rather than showing the journey. It just makes the whole film feel very amateurish and disjointed. And it very much leads to some of the worst pacing in any film I've ever seen. Even when I was watching this film critically, because I tend to watch these films twice, I watched them once for enjoyment, and then I watched them again to sort of stop, start and take notes. Even when watching it that second time where I was trying to concentrate, I glazed over in the middle part of this film. It's really hard to concentrate while watching this film. In terms of the reviews for this film, there's no real way around it. They're bad. On Rotten Tomatoes, there's no critical consensus, but it has an audience score of 15%. And on IMDb, it has a 3.7 out of 10. And... Looking at a few reviews, generally there is some complaints about the historical inaccuracy in this film, like the fact that it doesn't seem to know what it's supposed to be. And there is also a feeling that there's a lot of people who felt that it's sort of trying to play off of the Mummy franchise whilst putting no effort in whatsoever. For myself, I will admit I, I try and be a little bit nice when it comes to these reviews, and that's because... Often, even very bad films, I feel someone out there has put their love and their passion into them, and who am I to tear their vision apart, essentially? But with this film, I don't feel there's been any passion put into it. I don't feel that anyone's put any effort into it, it feels. And I get there's probably people out there who do like this film. There's probably quite a few people listening right now who like that film, and that's fine, that's great, I, I'm happy that you like it, but I just don't see it with this one at all. I can't give this film anything more than 1 out of 10. I didn't ever want to give that score to anything, but as far as I'm concerned, that's what this film deserves. And I'm not even saying that there aren't some things in it I like. I, I like the fact that Dave Batista's in it. I like, well, I like that the Book of the Dead's in it, even though I don't like the way it was used. But I just feel that the negatives so vastly outweigh the positives here. And I feel that there is 
no way I can watch this film and enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening. I do apologise that this has been quite a negative episode. But if you've enjoyed it, why not consider subscribing, liking, leaving a comment? And join me on Thursday, where I shall be looking at Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then join me on Monday, where I've been given one of the weirdest requests I've ever gotten. As I shall be reviewing an episode of the spin-off TV show, Baywatch Nights, named The Servant. In this episode, a mummy comes to life, and it is down to our hero, David Hasselhoff of all people, to take him down. I mean, why not, I guess. I hope you all have a fantastic week, and see you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.